Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 22. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 22. We are dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ in His last week here on earth. Jesus Christ is now in His last hours before He goes to the cross and dies for your sins and for mine. And we had saw this morning and knelt with him in the garden of Gethsemane and saw the agony he had as he was praying, not my will but thine. He watched as this multitude of soldiers and um, <coughs> soldiers and Pharisees and Sanhedrin and chief priests have all come up, all led by his betrayer, disciple Judas. And Jesus Christ is now arrested. Now we pick it up in the gospel record of Luke and follow Jesus Christ through this illegal trial. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of Luke chapter 22. The gospel record of Luke chapter 22, and notice with me in verse 54. The gospel record of Luke 22, and in verse number 54, the Bible says this. Then they took him, that's Jesus, and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another psalm and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately why he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other blasphemous, or things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the, pre of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their counsel, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witnesses for we ourselves have heard of his own 
mouth. And if you have it marking things in your Bible, please mark a phrase that we find in verse uh, Gospel Record of Luke chapter 22. And notice with me in verse number 66, where it says, the chief priest and the scribes came together. The chief priest and the scribes came together. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this passage here and explain about the illegal trial. The illegal trial. And we're going to walk through this passage and then take some time to explain legalities through uh, uh, the law of the Hebrew people at this time and explain all these things, the point after point of how this trial was indeed illegal. The illegal trial. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and We thank you for you enduring all of this. You knew what was going to happen. You knew that you would have to face this. And you went through it anyways. You could have avoided it. You could have brought down your legions of angels. You could have done so many things. But you still allowed yourself to go through this. To suffer on the cross for our sins. And what great love you have for us. Thank you Lord. Help us have wisdom and discernment as we walk through this passage. Fill me with your spirit that you get your work accomplished through your word even now. And we love you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. As we start off this passage, we begin by looking at Peter as Jesus Christ is arrested. And we see the denial of Jesus. The denial of Jesus. So the soldiers take Jesus and lead him through the valley of Kidron back through the city of Jerusalem. In fact, they probably went through the very same gate that Jesus had walked with his disciples earlier to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Notice in verse 54 as we pick it up. Then they, these soldiers, uh, then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest place or house. And Peter followed a high off. Now the palace of the high priest stood on the slopes of the southern hill, not far from the house where the last supper had been uh, took place. Right now it's about three o'clock in the morning. The Gospels don't tell us why Jesus was first taken to the house of Ananias, who was the former high priest. But it was probably because Ananias pulled the springs. Caiaphas was actually the true high priest. But Ananias was the priest before him and he was a scoundrel. He, He was a manipulator. He was a bully. He was everything you could imagine on an evil politician. And so even though he no longer helped the title of high priest, he still had the power influence that he did when he was the high priest. And all of the priests fell in line to what he had said. So they had brought him to the house of the high priest. And the purpose of this is before they get to the illegal trial, they're going to go ahead and examine Jesus. They're going to try to see if they could get him to confess, to uh, trip him up, to see if they could line things up. So that way when they get to the trial, they could just present the evidence. They're not trying to examine him. That's already been done. That's kind of what they're trying to do now is all the pre-trial stuff. They're trying to get the what they're going to say, who's going to say it, how they're going to present the case. Notice with me as this is being set up, we're now putting our attention on Peter. Notice with me in verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So Peter, even though he is kind of taken off, he's decided that he's going to follow Jesus. He's out of the way of the soldiers. So as the soldiers come down, he's following afar off. He's making sure that 
he's not noticeable, but trying to keep track of where Jesus is. And so they come to this hall. The gospel record of John portrays that John is here too. In fact, John's the one opening doors. Peter is... Uh, Kind of too shy and too scared. But John is the one who's opening up doors and allowing Peter even to be in this courtyard at this time. So it's three o'clock in the morning. It's cool. People have started a fire. They're trying to warm themselves up by the fire just to see what's going to occur. And Peter's sitting among them. And it doesn't take long before he is recognized. I meant, after all, when you're someone full of pride, someone who has foot and mouth disease, someone who's always in the forefront, someone who's always in the leader, well, you do all this work to be recognized, don't be surprised when you're recognized. So, he indeed is recognized. Verse 56, But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him. So, he... She comes and notices him by the fire and she looks him up and down and studies him and examines him. And you can just imagine Peter's like, stop looking at me. Stop. Stop. Just staring at him. And of course, she does recognize him and says, this man was also with him. Meaning a Jesus. Everyone knows that Jesus is being on trial. Everyone knows that they've arrested Jesus. And so she points out, hey, that's one of his followers. Peter scared right now, uh, <laughs> verse 57, and he denied him saying, woman, I know him not. Shut up. I don't know what you're talking about. Just leave me alone. I'm just here like everyone else. Well, once again, the man who works so hard to be unrecognized, when he doesn't want to be recognized, of course, he's going to be recognized. Notice with me, verse 54, 58. And after a little while, while another saw him and said, Thou art of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. So here's another guy. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure you're one of his disciples. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. Verse 59. And about the space of one hour, another confidently affirmed. So this guy comes up and he says, no, no, I know who you are. You are definitely one of them. Of a truth, this fellow is also with him, for he is a Galilean. Now remember, we kind of covered this before, probably in the gospel record of Mark, but maybe earlier here. The Galileans were a lot different than the Judeans. The Judeans considered themselves to be true Hebrew people. We are the righteous. We are the, the greatest. Whereas the Galileans were the redneck of the region. Their speech was a little bit different. It was a lot more less refined. It was a lot more lazy. There was a, an accent with it. So if you could imagine someone from the deep south up in Yankee land being tried and I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know who he is. Well, you sound like a you're, you're Peter. You're definitely not from here. You tell by your accent, you're one of Jesus' followers. I saw you. You can't hide your accent. In fact, it says that when they point out this in the other gospel record, that he actually curses. Just to prove that he's not one of Jesus' followers, he actually uses uh, foul language. No, no, no. <laughs> That's one way to prove that you're not a follower of Christ, obviously, is by using foul language. He denies in verse 60, and Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately... While he yet spake, the cock crew. So you can imagine that fateful sound, the frightening sound, the ice hitting his heart. As soon as he said, man, blankly blank, I don't know what you're talking about, blankly blank, leave me alone, blankly blank. All of a sudden, 
you hear a rooster start crowing. His heart freezes over. He looks over to Jesus. And Jesus, while he's in the midst of this trial, in the midst of them asking Jesus questions, in the middle of them abusing Jesus, Jesus looks over and locks eyes with Peter. Peter knew he messed up. He knew he failed. He remembered what Jesus had said just a couple hours before. Verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Oh, what a heartbreak. Remember, a couple hours ago, he was boisterous, full of self. Listen, if you get arrested, I get arrested. If they put you to death, I put you to death. I'll defend you with my life. And here he is, denying Jesus, cursing so they don't confuse him as a Christian. Denying that last time, knew he failed. Now, Peter, verse 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I mean, what else could you do after that to realize that you failed Jesus so horribly bad? Didn't want Jesus to look at him anymore. And he took off, cried bitterly. In fact, later on, we're going to see in a different gospel record, he actually quits the ministry after a while. He quits. I don't want to be a preacher no more. I failed God too bad. There's no way he could use me. How can I be used after I messed up so horribly bad? I'm so thankful that we have a redeeming God who loves us anyways. But Peter failed. Now, if you go back to Jesus' perspective, Jesus who knows everything, Jesus is a distance away. He can't hear the conversation. In fact, he's being drilled right then. But think about this. Peter, everything he said, Jesus heard. Because he knew everything. And was able to look at Pete, Peter right at this right time. You can almost imagine he didn't, Jesus didn't have to shake his head or do a threatening look. Or, he just had to look at Peter and Peter heart dropped. But on Jesus' perspective... It was not easy to watch his disciple fail. It was not easy to watch this person who he, he told, you're going to lead the church. You're going to lead when, when thou were converted, strengthen the brethren. To look and to watch him fail and deny who Jesus is. If Peter's not going to stand up for him, who will? Jesus is all alone. And with this, we now turn ourselves to the trial of Jesus himself. We start off with the abuse of Jesus. The abuse of Jesus. Now the other gospel records of Mark and John actually fill in the details of this phase of uh, the Hebrew trial. But it begins with Ananias, the former high priest. He comes and begins to speak to Jesus in a different gospel record. But let's pick it up in the middle of the progress. Verse 63. And the men... That helped Jesus. These are the Roman soldiers as well as the priest. The men that helped Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other blasphemy, uh, things blasphemy spake they against him. So they're beating Jesus. They're abusing Jesus. They found false witnesses in a different account that they actually come and they're all telling lies. The problem is, is they can't use their testimony because no one's saying the same lie. In order for someone to be convicted in a Hebrew trial, they needed someone, uh, two or three witnesses to say the same thing. 
Well, these people are coming in willingly lying, but their stories don't match up. And so this is a process. They're just trying to find some witnesses who would agree with each other about what Jesus has done. And they can't do that. And so they begin to abuse Jesus some more. They buffet him. They hit him in the face. Uh, The high priest comes and smacks him and shows him a great disrespect. He's being abused. Now again, remember, he's already sweat great drops of blood. He's already starting to enter into a dehydration phase. And they're not going to feed him. They're not going to to give him anything to drink. They're not going to let him take a break. Remember, because of the great drops of blood, his his face is already, his whole skin is now paper thin. And so just a hit is enough to leave a bruise right now. And so the abuse of him begins. He's feeling every blow as they're hitting upon him. They're jeering at him. To hear all of these people lying against him. This is all being set up. Which then brings to the false trial of Jesus. Notice with me in verse 66. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priest and the scribes came together and led him into their council. So they bring Jesus to the palace of the high priest in the middle of the night before sunrise. And they gather together all of the members of the Sanhedrin. Remember the Sanhedrin is the ruling council of the high priest, of the the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, that they have a council that they put together. This is actually established all the way in the Old Testament by Ezra. He's the one who put them together for them to oversee the law, and to oversee the religion, to oversee the teaching of God's law. And now it is morphed to a monstrosity where they are judging other people. And so they invite together the members of the Sanhedrin, but not everyone, only those that had an ought against Christ. We're going to see later on there are a couple of people who were not invited. Including Nicodemus. Including uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Only supporters under the sway of Ananias. Again, he's such a crooked politician that he's only inviting people to come to the trial. That he, Ananias, this former high priest, knew would vote his way and do what he said. And those that were going to be kind towards Christ were not invited at all. They all assemble in the morning. Jesus had already been up night. He'd been buffeted and bullied for hours. Now after this, after the bullying, after the tactics, the trial officially begins. Notice as we see the trial now going on, verse 67. They go out and flatly say, Art thou the Christ? Tell us! And he said to them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I were to ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter the Son of Man shall sit on the right hand of the power of God. So Jesus says, listen, why bother? This is a kangaroo court after all. You're not going to allow me to speak. You don't care what I say unless I incriminate myself. You're not going to let me go. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what proof. Doesn't matter what other people say. You're not letting me go. You've already determined, you've decided in your mind, this is a farce, this is a legal trial. You go ahead and do whatever you want. You're just determined to do it after all. And so he says, let me tell you something. Hereafter, the Son of Man is going to sit at the right hand of the power of God. Verse 70, and they then said they all, art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, ye say that I am. Hey, that's what you say. Are you the Son of God? Well, that's what you guys are saying. 
Now, of course, we know he is. But they take that as good as it's going to get, verse 71. And they said, what need we any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard from his own mouth. Listen, Jesus just said he's the son of God. You heard it, you heard it, you heard it. That's all we need. All right, that's good. Now, the gospel records kind of explain a little bit and give some of the details or explain some of the overview. But if you don't mind, let's actually take some time And this last thing we want to cover here is the reasons why Jesus' trial was illegal. Now we're going to get into the nuts and bolts. This is going to talk a little bit about the Sanhedrin. It's going to talk about the trial system, the legal system that they have here. And this is all big deal because for the Jewish people, especially the priest, the law is everything. And they're going to break their own rules and their own laws in putting the court case together. So notice, first of all, the Jewish law prohibited any part of legal proceedings by night. Technically, this isn't even sunrise yet. So in the middle of the night, they assemble this trial and they go ahead and examine Jesus. Then they put him on this kangaroo court All of that is illegal. You are not allowed to have a court proceeding at night. Something else. No session of the court could take place before the offering of the morning sacrifice. There was a certain time every day where the morning sacrifice would be offered at the temple. And so as a rule of protection to try to protect those that were on trial, there was an actual rule that said, listen, no official business, no court trial. If you want to know when you can start a trial, nothing can be started until that morning sacrifice. So you can't meet at night. In fact, you can't even meet until the morning sacrifice is completed, that's when official business can begin. Well, again, this has happened before everything started. It has been illegal. These are uh, things to protect the innocent that they have woven in their law, and they're running roughshod over all of it. Something else, no court of justice in Israel was permitted to hold sessions on the Sabbath or any of the seven biblical holidays. In cases of a capital crime, no trial could be commenced on Friday or the day previous to any holiday. Because it was not lawful to adjourn such cases longer than overnight or continue them over the Sabbath or a holiday. Now this is a big deal that they had set here. That we don't, for a capital crime, that means a crime that could be punished by death, a serious crime. Listen, we're not even going to start a court case in, in a time that it looks like it's going to have to run over the weekend and start the next day. We don't want to have something holding trial that long. We don't, if it, now remember, they are observing the Passover, but the, right after this is going to be a legal day. This is uh, a legal holiday. This is why they have to get the body of Jesus off the cross before sundown. We're going to see that later on. So they cannot have a trial the day before a legal holiday because they cannot have it uh, extenuating, going over, because technically they can't work those days. And having a trial pending, meaning as not finished judgment, is considered work. 
So they actually set this rule for the protection of others. We're not going to just let this hang. We're going to not even start a trial. But here we can see they violated it. They are trying to get Jesus killed before the holiday starts in just a matter of hours. Something else, a criminal case resulting in the acquittal of accused may terminate the same day it began, but if a sentence of death is to be pronounced, it cannot be conducted before the following day. So what does that mean? That means that if someone is found innocent and they are acquitted, that that could be happened on the same day. But if someone is found guilty and sentenced, that can't happen on the same day. You have to have at least overnight to think about it before you put someone to death, before you put someone, uh, put them as guilty. Again, this is for the protection so people's emotions can calm down. So they're not judging things emotionally. You need to take some time to think about it it's because this is a big deal. Which is again why it couldn't start on a day before a holiday. Because you didn't need it pondering and you didn't need to spend all that time thinking about it. But you couldn't do it the same day. That was to make sure for the safety and the preservation of the innocent. Something else. A simultaneous and unanimous verdict of guilt rendered on the day of the trial has the effect of an acquittal. Meaning that according to their law, that if everyone said, hey, he's guilty on the same day then that's the same as acquittal because something's wrong. Yep. So, I mean, if everyone found it all at once, if everybody at the same time, they didn't think about it, hey, is he guilty? That's it. He should have walked according to their own law. According to their law, he was found acquitted that there was something wrong with it. Then... No one could bring an accusation against himself. Should a man make a confession of guilt before a legally constituted tribunal, such a confession is said not to be held against him unless properly attested by two witnesses. This idea of having two witnesses is a big deal. So even though they said, Jesus, what, what, no, what more do we need to say? They had to have two or more witnesses to collaborate this in order for him to be found guilty. They're saying, no, no, we don't need any more witnesses. All we need is what he said. That's illegal. Then a sentence of death can be pronounced only as long as the Sanhedrin holds its session in the appointed place. The gospel records show that they're meeting in the house of Ananias, the palace of Ananias, not in the regular meeting place of the Sanhedrin. Now, again, there's a reason for that because they don't need the people who are for Jesus, that's part of the council, to stumble in. Hey, what are you guys doing here? What they're hoping to do is do this silently away from everyone so no one can question it until after it's over. Then there must not be on the judicial bench either a relation or a particular friend, or an enemy of either the accused or the accuser. Meaning that anyone who hated Jesus could not sit on the bench. Could not be his judge. Well, that's all of them. They're all hate him. What else? Well, Jesus was not allowed a defense. Jesus said, hey, it doesn't matter who I bring in. You guys are going to find me guilty. He wasn't allowed a defense. There was no one who would be allowed to come and speak for Jesus. That would drag out this way too long. We want this over with. 
Then it was only a partial meeting of the Sanhedrin. Other members were not convened, make it illegal. They weren't even invited. They only invited people. So the whole council wasn't there. Only the people that hated Jesus. I mean, this is point after point after point of things that were done wrong. According to their own law. And then they changed the charge from blasphemy to sedition. Meaning that they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. Meaning that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. And according to them, that can't stand. However, according to Roman law, the Jewish people were not allowed to kill, carry out death sentences themselves. Only the Roman government was allowed to do that. Well, if they brought up the case of blasphemy to the Roman government, the Roman government laugh at him and send him home. So Jesus was found guilty of blasphemy, but when they brought him up to Pilate, they said that the charge was sedition, meaning that Jesus Christ was raising up a group of people to overthrow the Roman government. That's not what he was found guilty of at all. They changed the charges. That was illegal. There was a lot of underhanded thing. All of this just because they hated Christ. All of this because they hated him. Now remember, Jesus was not helpless. Those soldiers did not hold Jesus in place. Jesus willingly went through this. This horrible thing. To hear people lying for him. People who hated him. Trying to get something on him to confess. But Jesus did it all because he loved us. What a great love that Christ had for us. That he was willing to endure all of this. Now when you think about this great love. There is a principle in the Bible. How can I sin against this great love of him? We think about how much he did love us. How can we then turn around and purposely say. Listen I appreciate you dying for me but. I don't want to spend time in your word. It's not worth it to me. How can you? If you could imagine an incident where <laughs> someone took a bullet for you. Meaning that there was a drive-by shooting. They saw the car coming up. They push you out of the way and they took the bullet for you. What a great person. They took the bullet for you. They may not even love you, but for whatever reason, they took the bullet for you. And so they're in the hospital and they're recovering and you never visit them. And after they get out of the hospital, every time they see you, you go the other direction. You don't even say hi to them. Wouldn't that be messed up? Well, Jesus did a lot more than take a bullet for us. He went through a false trial. He went on the cross. He was scourged. He was abused because he loved you. And then for us to say, listen, I don't want to read my Bible. I, you are not worth the 10 minutes it takes to read my Bible every day. That's exactly what you're saying. You, it's not worth it to me to spend time with you in prayer. I meant, I'm just too busy for you. I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And so Jesus, you're just going to have to accept my excuse that, you're just, that I'm just too busy. You're not worth it. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? You see, the Bible says that the commandments of God are not grievous. Why aren't they not grievous? 
Because we should be out of a thankful heart, be glad to serve him after all he's done for me. After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? You know, we are pretty selfish people. We are so self-centered, so arrogant, so full of pride, thinking that we are much more important than the one he died for. How can we sin against this great love of His? Gives us something to think about. Should give us a different motive and a different perspective. How is your Bible reading? Does your Bible reading come naturally, meaning there's something I want to do? Or do people still need to twist your arm and beg you to read your Bible? You know, the problem is not whether you like the Bible or not. The problem is, is you haven't been looking at Jesus. You know, there's so many problems that are solved when you go to the foot of the cross and you look up at him and see his wounds, see his bleeding, to see him looking down at you and say, I love you this much. Standing at the foot of the cross solves so many things. It is very hard to look up at him And be dry-eyed, cross your arms and say, you know what? Still not going to read my Bible. (laughs) You know what? I I could see you're agonizing quite a bit. But you know what? You're not worth my time. How dare we? How dare we come up with excuses after all he's done for me? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.